2: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Delicious Ella podcast with me, Matthew Mills, and my wife and business partner, Ella Mills.
1: Hi, everyone. So today, I'm very excited about our guest today. I've been a huge, huge fan of his writing. We have Matt Haig here today. For anyone who's not familiar with his work, he um, is a brilliant author. But I'm um, Particularly a massive, massive fan on his work on mental health. I first read his book Reasons to Stay Alive actually while we were on our honeymoon, and um, I've just found it incredibly powerful. And his new book, Notes on a Nervous Planet, has become my absolute go-to. So we're gonna talk a little bit about kind of general mental health today, um, the stigma around mental health, dealing with it, but also looking really at the kind of connection between the modern world, technology, social media, the kind of Busyness, the stress of life today, and how that's starting to impact on us and what we can do about it. So, thank you so much for coming in today. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me.
2: um So, Matt, for anyone who's not familiar with your work, can you just give a bit of background on your story and how the books came about?
0: Yeah. Well, in terms of mental health stuff, I mean, I'd written novels before. So, when I wrote Reasons to Stay Alive, I'd, I'd done about 10 books before that. But I'd been building up to sort of writing about my experience of mental health for years and never knew how to do it and I I basically had a full-blown breakdown, even though breakdown is not a medical term, that's still how I see it at the age of 24 I mean technically it was um, panic disorder, depression, anxiety a whole smorgasbord of you know, mental stuff. And there was a particular event that caused it, or was it...? No, it, well, you know, I, at the time, I didn't th- think or know any of the causes, and that's why I became suicidal quite quickly, because I had no idea how I'd got into the situation. So I had no idea how to get out of the situation. So I hadn't been living um, physically healthy. I'd been sleeping badly. We'd been in a beef uh, being sort of um, young clubbing, partying people. But I hadn't, hadn't been into drugs. I'd been drinking too much. i have been sleeping badly. And um, I was about to come home and sort of get back into the real world with um, working in London and stuff. And I, I think it was a kind of quarter-life crisis catching up with me, combined with not being physically healthy, combined with just life stresses. And I think I'd had low-level depression for years that I hadn't been aware of so I was doing that sort of typical young man thing of you know I would have said actually the week before I had a breakdown that I was a fun loving person that I was a happy person that there were no problems but yeah. I would have been wrong and I just wasn't very in tune with myself and it's taken me a long time and in both reasons to stay alive and notes on a nervous planet I think my motivation for writing them was to actually explore um things to help people obviously but for me selfishly to just explore the connections between how I was feeling and how I was living
1: amazing yeah there was a quote that I thought was really powerful notes on a nervous planet where you said um in the lowest moments you thought you'd never be able to enjoy music again or food or books or conversation or sunlight or holiday or anything I was rotten to my core like a disease tree every day and that pit was hell
0: yeah, which is intense. quite... <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I put, put it all out there. I don't... Yeah, I, I I was in a really
2: bad way. And and how long uh, were you in such a bad way for?
0: Well, I was prop- properly ill, as in if you count being too ill to leave a house on my own. I was ill for about three years. When I was living in Spain, we went straight away. Uh, uh, Andrea, my partner, she, she sort of forced me straight away to go to the... Um, Spanish Medical Center, I got some pills, and there was the Valium, the diazepam. That didn't work. Um, Then when I was back in the UK, um, I had a couple of sort of bad or mediocre experiences with um, the GPs. I did every single thing my mum was telling me to do, like go to homeopaths, All kinds of stuff. I was literally trying everything and nothing seemed to sort of work. And then after that, I I kind of gave up because the actual sort of looking was making me sort of more stressed out. So I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But in my situation, that's what I was doing. And also combined with the fact that I was agoraphobic, the fact that sort of doing anything was making me have a, a panic attack. Even watching TV was sort of like too much for me at that point. It sounds so strange and pathetic but that's the sort of situation I was in I did eventually get better and I think one of the things I you know I say relatively better I'm not 100% physically or mentally and I I mean I don't think any of us are but you know I I I gave up sort of believing in total 100% betterness because that was one of the things that kept me in the bad place because um, every time I thought I was 100% better and then I'd have a dip or a panic attack or something Mm -hmm then it would all come crashing down. So I stopped believing that all or nothing, and realising it was just something I have to sort of constantly um, keep on top of. But having said that, all the doom and gloom stuff, I've known more happiness in my life, this side of that breakdown. I've known more sort of good things, more good things have come out of it. I wouldn't want to go through it again. But... In terms of regretting stuff, um, obviously I missed a lot of time in my 20s, but I, I I like to believe that if you know an experience of that sort of intense pain, um, it sort of broadens you afterwards for intense pleasure or at least intense gratitude at sort of the normal neutrality of just living. And what tools have you used to create that greater sense of happiness? Um, well, I think... You know, it's not necessarily conscious tools. It's just the fact that I'm aware of how lucky it is to sort of be in a position of relative health when you've known the opposite. I mean, when I was younger, again, being that sort of typical young person, often wanting the most intense experiences, and I used to have to have the most intense experiences to be happy. And since since illness, I've... Um, been able to just be you know i haven't sort of craved getting out of my head i haven't craved sort of always having to have the loudest music or most intense experiences and that appreciation of just sort of like looking at the sky just smaller things yeah yeah, smaller things um you know live by the sea just sort of like going for a run by the sea you know just life stuff just being appreciative
1: One of the other things you talk about, which I really like as well, is in that sense of appreciation is also just appreciating where you are today. And that we have this tendency nowadays, and I think we all recognize it in ourselves of the kind of what ifs when I, you know, when I achieve this, I will be happy when I look like this, I will be happy if I lose weight, I'll be happy if I can run a marathon, I'll be happy. And it's like, you can't be happy now, because you're imagining this parallel life, this sense of, you know, I'm not good enough today, I might be good enough in the future. And if I'm good enough in the future, I'll be be happy.
0: Totally. And we're all encouraged to do that. I can remember thinking, oh, I will be eternally happy forever and ever if i got my sort of first book published if i just got my name on a book it doesn't have to be out on a table in a bookshop it just had a name on a book and obviously that lasts for about two weeks and then you're wanting the next thing and then you want then you're comparing yourself to other published people and stuff whatever it is whatever your walk of life you do that and but it's being a bit more mindful of it because i i've got a theory that we're kind of encouraged subconsciously to be anxious yeah feel a bit unfulfilled I feel like a lot of the economy and certainly like branding and marketing is run on that it's run on sort of creating um problems or highlighting problems and then providing solutions because I mean most of us are lucky enough in the developed world to have essentially the things we need the things that our sort of like cave person neolithic ancestors would have um struggled for we solve solved the essential problems of being a human so we've sort of created and manufactured lots of other stuff and we've still got the same anxiety in our head so I think fear is used a lot in marketing there's even an acronym FUD which is fear uncertainty and doubt which they like to sort of instill in um, brands I suppose the obvious one would be something like a anti-aging moisturizer or something where Um, You're
1: fighting the inevitable. Yeah, yeah.
0: Obviously, we're all worried naturally about ageing, but, you know, the the exploitation of our natural sort of fears.
2: It's presence, isn't it? I mean, I think the key to happiness, I think if I look at my happiest moments in life um, and other people I love and know well, their happiest moments of life, it's just when they've been completely and utterly present and you're not worried about the future or the past. You're just focused on the moment you're in. I think there was a really interesting study with uh, graduates at Harvard, and the and high depression rates uh, within them, where they had always been successful and so and because they would only ever got straight a 's and then got into the best university and then were chasing the best summer internships and the best jobs that was what they expected to do so they never took a moment to stop and celebrate and be present in the success of and joy of of doing something so great and it was this constant chase of something more 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 um that caused um that that caused the anxiety and 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 the stress on them rather than just actually appreciating and being so grateful and joyful about just the yeah, thing that you've just yeah. achieved and celebrating that and internalising it and and being present with that moment.
1: On that one things as well that I wanted to touch on is that idea um that you talk about of kind of collective emotion. The fact that because we're now so connected, that you are constantly and you have a page where you list like a brilliant thing of all these really depressing headlines about how anxious we are, how depressed we are, how unhappy we are, and the fact that we're constantly it's like we're constantly being kind of reinforced by that. And there's. um there was a brilliant quote, actually. A completely connected world has the potential to go mad all at once, which I really liked and wanted to kind of touch on that sense that because we're all so connected today, it's almost like we feel each other's pain kind of so deeply.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why I called it Nervous Planet, because not only are we all sort of, well, a lot of us get stressed out quite easily, but also um, nervous in the sense of a nervous system. It's like we're all part of this global um, nervous system now of the internet and um there is such a thing as collective psychology you know and, and there's lots of positive and negative examples of it in the past whether it's witch trials or beetle mania or whatever it is we, we we sort of like have contagious emotions and if if we're all connected in a sort of digital sense now then our psychologies are connected so like for instance I, i've overused twitter and you see a lot of heated political or whatever arguments over on Twitter. And it's very easy to believe you're sort of arguing with someone who's the opposite of you because they're politically different. But you're actually doing exactly the same thing because you're sort of like in a sort of keyboard warrior. Yeah, key, keyboard warriors trying to win an argument that you're never going to convince the other person of your own point of view, feeling that sort of anxiety or anger in your chest. And, um, yeah, from these sort of aliens' perspective in the sort of cosmos, they're looking down and just seeing this hot technological rage <laughs> going on.
1: And so on that kind of technological um, point and the internet, because I think you would kind of can't escape that we do live in the world of social media and kind of connectivity. And I know we touched on it just before we started recording. Like, you know, I do think social media can be amazing. It can bring people together. It can normalize things because you can understand you're not on your own on something. You can get ideas. You know, we can do something like this podcast where we can hopefully share inspiring yeah. information. But at the same time, there, there are negative sides to it and it definitely you kind of can't get away from the fact that it can yeah have I mean, a negative you're, you're impact
0: m- massive on social media so have, have you found that it's do you have to be careful for how how much you sort of scroll through comments and things like that
1: 100% we were literally talking about this last night I mean for me the channel and I know it's your most used channel that I don't really use because I know for me it's kind of doesn't work as twitter because twitter has such a sense of kind of non- anonymity oh, it's,
0: and it's brutal totally
1: and i find that you'll do i don't know a segment on this morning or whatever it is and just so many people will come on and it's like feels like the ultimate place for a keyboard warrior and for me it's i i can't help but kind of sometimes get sucked into it and then really get nervous about it or and i think what you were just saying resonated as well like sometimes you'll you'll see a negative comment and it's kind of hostile towards you. And as a result, you kind of take on this hostile emotion and you didn't feel hostile at all before you read it and you started replying to it. But one thing Matt always says to me... Sometimes you're looking at 500 comments. There's 499 really lovely comments and yeah. there's one negative comment. And yet you're drawn to it and he'll go through he'll sometimes call me up and he's like, why have you only responded <laughs> to that one negative one? And it's so true. Like it's such a reflection on how easy it can be sometimes to get sucked into the space.
0: And it's also going back to that thing of always, you know, not, never being happy. It's like you literally can have thousands of people, probably in your case, saying lovely things and it will be that 0 Point zero zero one percent. Yeah, that, that is absorbing like ninety nine percent of your mental energy because you're sort of
2: focused on that. I look at some. Like I'm a complete sports nut, and so I follow lots of footballers and stuff on Instagram. You know, you see the comments on some of the comments on their yeah. pages. It's horrendous. Stuff. Oh my yeah. god! I mean, they just get absolutely yeah. torn apart. And um with Instagram, you know. To, to your point with social media we talk about this a lot with with what we do is that you know, instagram really is we think anyway a place for inspiration and it's something where you know if the picture's not great the algorithm gets it it doesn't yeah, you don't it a doesn't get engaged people yeah. people mm.
0: i feel like you know when i switch between instagram and twitter there's almost a psychological yeah. switch yeah. goes yeah. on you're sort of like almost putting on your boxing gloves on twitter yeah. and with instagram you feel like oh you're just
2: sort of yeah yeah but it's It's also a place where you have to be, you have to be, try and be honest, Mm. um, but getting that right balance between providing real inspiration, but showing people that this is just a highlight reel, it's not the complete reality, you know, our bedroom's still messy or we're still stressed about something at work, but engaging people because we're trying to inspire them to eat more plant-based food is, you know, getting that balance of of the the dream and the reality is, is really difficult to do.
0: Yeah. yeah, and on a rainy Tuesday morning in March, people forget sometimes that they're looking at someone's best bits. If they're looking at someone leaning against a palm tree in Bali, oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> exactly. and they're, they're going getting on the bus to their job in Croydon, and it's yeah. like.
1: But I do think this. Um, having access, and it's not just social media, it's the internet in general, that sense of kind of 24-7 connectivity does now invite in a world of comparison. And I think that all these things are what's making it really hard to be present because you're always aware of what someone else is doing, what someone else is potentially achieving, that you feel you're not achieving, and as you it's...
2: say in your book, comparison is the thief of joy, which is yeah. which is which is so
0: true. Yeah, and it, I think it's hard, you know, like you don't realize until you've achieved at least some of your dreams that it doesn't stop. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's exactly. No, there's not an end point to that. You think, oh, and actually, you can actually get into a crisis when you actually get the thing you want because yeah. you suddenly realize, oh. That wasn't the problem. You know, it's very easy to think, oh, I'm unhappy because I haven't got X, Y, or Z. Then you get X, Y, or Z and think, Oh, I'm still feeling that way. Then you have a crisis.
1: So either the other thing I wanted to touch on as well is, it, we're looking at this in this kind of sense of the fact that there's there's always so many things going on. You have these constant tools around you, constant ways of being able to connect. And one of the other things you you mentioned, which I thought was really interesting, and it wasn't something I'd ever thought about before, was breaking news. Mm. And about the fact you used to get news morning and evening. And let's be honest, the news can be pretty depressing. And at the moment, it is incredibly yeah. depressing. It feels though Brexit, Trump, they are they aren't bad themes. But it feels as though at the moment, like every time you look at your phone, a news alert pops up and it's breaking news and something terrible's happened, and you just have this like constant sense of that the world is a terrible place. But as you actually also point out, you know, we've come a huge, a huge way in the last decades. Like actually, a lot of the world's problems are a lot better than they used to be. But there's this sense of negativity that pops up from that angle as well.
0: Yeah, there aren't many stories about. Guide dogs. There's not much <laughs> positive... You know, there are all kinds of, like, positive little things that are going on in the world in terms of, like, conservation efforts and this, that, and the other. But news, by its nature, uh, the things that sort of stand out in the news cycle are negative things. But in the broad picture, yes, there's lots of um, reasons to be positive. There's less sort of child poverty than there was globally. Um, you know, a lot of the sort of third world is becoming uh, slowly second or th- first world. And there's a lot of um, Im- improvements globally but yes we do dwell on the negative the news cycle sort of runs on the negative and it's a kind of addictive thing where we all feel the need to be up to date not just every day but every hour of every day and um I've got a friend on Facebook, an American lady of a um, certain age, and she can remember the 70s quite clearly. And she said, you know, we used to get our news at most twice a day. You'd have your sort of morning newspaper and your 6 p.m. news bulletin. And they still got rid of Nixon. They still had the sort of social... Yeah changes and a lot of progress in the 70s. Without that, I sometimes think we're so overloaded, we're almost paralysed. And it doesn't, you know, Trump and Brexit, it doesn't seem to be massively evolving. No. And we're, we're getting so over-informed. And every day, there's sort of some massive revelation, and yet nothing changes. So I don't think there's a, a relationship between having our news more often and actually making more change. Yes,
1: it so feels like we're now looking from distraction to distraction to distraction. And that Yes. Is, that's really the kind of the crux of your point, right? That we're that we're, we're so distracted that we're becoming overloaded.
0: Yeah, we're overloaded and we're, we're distracted. I mean, I've got two kids and um, they'll be in the back seat of the car on their iPads. Before we had kids, we were never going to do that, but we do a lot of car journeys. So they're, they're totally plugged in, in the back, like most kids are. And they start to panic if they see it's 3% and they, they need yeah. the charger on the thing. And they literally can't understand like what, I would have done when I was a child on the back seat of a car without having any technology. I said, well, you know, we had books, or we looked out the window, or we watched the raindrops, or we were bored. Or played Ice by Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> Played-eye spy, exactly, you're pointing at things. And, um, yeah, but, don't, but, but, but it, 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 we're in an age now where you, you never have to be bored, but you're kind
2: of always slightly bored because yes. we, we, we've, you know, and we've got too, too much. No, too much choice is, definitely can be a bad thing. So we've so we've talked a lot about the problems but what are the solutions to this in a world with so much noise technology's not going away 24-hour news isn't going away how do we cut through all of this and and find our most best balanced self um
0: yeah million dollar question i have <laughs> Obviously we can't put the genie in the bottle. I'm a total hypocrite on this because I, I do I use the internet like everyone else and I, I I get quite addicted to social media and I wouldn't ever tell anyone off for for doing that or think they shouldn't. And in some ways, twenty years ago when I had my full meltdown I I would have liked to have been able to go on the internet and find like-minded people because I felt so alone and so isolated, like there's nothing else. So there's a lot of great stuff, there's a lot of great information out there and we wouldn't want to undo or turn back the clock. I think the key thing, the big broad key thing, is to see it as a health issue. I think one of the problems is we don't see mental health really as health you know we see it to Mm. do with personality or character flaws or what this that and the other and you know we talk a lot about mental health but i still feel we've got this fundamental misunderstanding of mental health because we see it as so separate to physical health we sort of base the whole healthcare system and everything else on this divide between mental and physical health i think as soon as you see mental health as a health issue you understand it like physical health we understand physical health is dependent on what we eat, how we live, how we sleep, everything else. Um, Whereas with mental health, things that affect our mental health, we don't take that seriously. For instance, if someone is becoming ill and stressed out because of uh, GCSEs or their A-levels, people think, oh, well, that's good for them, a bit of stress. You know, it doesn't matter. Whereas if it was literally affecting visibly their physical health, no one would think, oh, it's worth my child smoking 20 cigarettes a day to get an A at A level. But we do all sorts of kind of think, oh, it's worth having that bit of stress and maybe risking anxiety disorders because of it. So I think everything would become a lot clearer if we understood mental health is real, it's a real health issue, it's integrated with physical health, it's affected as with physical health by the outside world and how we live. And then maybe one day, um, social media companies, news companies and stuff, will have to factor that in and there'll be a lot of pressure on them to sort of, you know, as there were with sort of fast food companies or tobacco companies or whatever, to understand it as a health
2: issue. Yeah, because yeah, your brain does control so much of your health. There's been this fascinating study that's just come out. They did this placebo study, it was the largest ever uh, placebo study where they said that they had given that all the people had chronic back pains and they gave they said they were giving half of them this new great pill for their back pain and the other half were having a placebo, yeah. but they gave everyone the placebo but still forty five percent of people in the study said that after a month that their back pain was infinitely better and they couldn't believe the transformation that they had had and it was just placebo Amazing. and then it was actually even then when they knew it was a placebo it was still good for them to keep taking the, and it's just ground-up rice pill, it was still good for them to keep taking it, and it shows the power of the brain yeah, on the body. Absolutely. It's the most powerful, most needed even, tool that And even
0: if, and it's totally wrong, but even if you thought mental health was just to do with your brain, your brain is a physical thing. Your yeah. thought yeah. processes are micro And your brain is obviously a physical thing dependent on the rest of your body. And, yeah, about, you know, back pain. If you've got a back pain to do with stress, like some people do, is a physical or a mental problem. I've got tinnitus, I've got ringing in my ears. That's physical and mental. There's so many things you can hallucinate with a fever. You can be depressed because of a, a a
2: diagnosis. So, you know, the the divide between Yeah, I have I mean not in a boasty way at all. I've been incredibly fortunate that I've always just been a really happy person and um I feel so incredibly fortunate for that. And I, last year when I... am my, slightly jealous. Yeah. I'm, I
1: am so jealous. Imagine living with him because <laughs> um, I am not that way.
2: But last year when my mum got really ill, she had a big seizure last May and her um, she had a surgery um, and we had the first scan was in September and that was the real... For me, the real big moment on if the tumour had come back, there's probably not much more that we could do because she had a very aggressive, high-grade brain cancer. And But if it hadn't come back and after she had had um, surgery and done radio and chemo, then maybe we had a chance. And, and I was in exceptionally, exceptionally close to my mum. And in September, the scan came back and the tumour had come back. And work was super, super stressful at the time. And everything was just... Crazy, and you know you i 've thought I had real resilience, and I could just kind of get on with it, and I could feel the physical um, senses of the stress that I was being caused mm-hmm. and the grief that I was feeling um and the hopelessness because i couldn't help mom but i thought that you know i would just be able to i'll be fine to get through it and our office is in soho in central london i was walking from our office to go pick something up at lunchtime and i was walking i got halfway there and i literally suddenly it felt like the whole pavement was moving was moving i couldn't stand up and i um i was like oh you know maybe I'm, it's just a sugar lull or something i hadn't had any breakfast and called Ella and i said you know i think something's funny is going on and I was taking to hospital I was violently sick I uh, couldn't stand up I could literally could not stand up couldn't really speak and um, the next three days they thought I'd had this attack. they thought I could lose my Hearing over time as a result, and it was my first time of really, really, really feeling the effect of what mental health could do to you physically, yeah. and being in that dark place of having absolutely no understanding what's happened. We hadn't; you know, we've basically been wow. working for two years straight and had a break. And the doctor said, that, "Like, you need to go and you need to stop." And, you, and we went away on holiday for to Greece for a week um, afterwards, and did stop and put everything away. and And I've been absolutely fine and haven't had any. symptoms since but it was the first time I got a real insight into just the power of what stress and grief can do to you and how it just completely takes you over and the only way to do something about it is not to think that you can just keep going but to actually stop and to really start to create the tools the processes the means to do something about it and the thing that i'm so happy about is i think particularly for men it's been mental health has been such an issue for so long where it's something you just had to get on with mm-hmm. and now there is so much more a conversation and an openness where it's almost a, a manly thing to talk about it and to to get it out and i think that that is such an enormously positive change and something i'm so such a huge supporter of um, and I think as m- much awareness we can bring to mm. this, the the better. No, absolutely. Well said. Um, yeah,
0: I, I think if people understood that, if people understood how um, physical this stuff is, how it can happen to absolutely anybody, however you define your personality type, I think if you understood it like a kind of weight where we um, all have to carry, you know, and there's no one on earth who thinks that they could lift up any. Physical weight um you know we can't lift up five tons yet we all sort of think or a lot of us like to think that we can cope with anything, yeah. but there comes an emotional weight which is just sort of too much, and then we yeah. sort of buckle under it's it so it just that's it, it everyone. Breaks, yeah. Yeah. and
2: you never know what that's what that snapping point is, and ultimately, you know I know we talked about. Um, and you gave great examples for the solutions for you for me it was it was just coming back to one a complete sense of presence and I have no idea you know at that point we knew that mum wasn't going to live mm. a very long life we were starting to give hope by other doctors that she may be able to live longer than we had thought she would under just the standard uh, process of care but one, the only thing that made it better was not to think, do we have three months? Do we have six months? Do we have a year, two years? It was just all we have to, is today. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to be super, super present and enjoy absolutely every single day with her. And then the other thing was just gratitude. And it was, for me, it was just, I think I've always been, and tr- and I think it was the reason that I've managed to be a, a happy person throughout my life. So I've always had a focus on what I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And I've, I definitely look at the world as glass half full. But it was just a sense of no matter what happens, I am so insanely grateful nice. to have had this person as my mum yeah. and that she will carry me and nurture me and has been my compass and my mentor throughout my life and is to, to have had that for 34 years and whether it's going to be for 34 years of my life or 35, 36, 37 years of my life, just to be so, 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 so grateful for that. And the only time when I would really get to And being in a place where I found it just completely all-encompassing and too difficult was when I got outside of presence or I got outside of gratitude. And just having a focus on both of those things and coming back to that central place on that was the thing that always got me through. It's amazing you had that awareness, though, to actually
0: be able to sort of know um, that's what you needed to do.
1: I think sometimes we're just a bit harsh on ourselves. I've, you know, also,
2: got, I've also got a great wife, I must <laughs> say, who is absolutely incredible. And I think that having having someone to really, really support you is, absolutely. is invaluable. And I
0: think for, for men in particular, you know, we've got so much um, rubbish inside us. However well brought up we were, or however sort of open-minded and liberal our parents were, um, it's just sort of somehow socially ingrained into us that um, there's something fundamentally difficult about asking for help or admitting vulnerability and um it is, I mean, I I was but like you wouldn't break your leg and be like, oh, it's fine. I'm just going to get up. Yeah, it, yeah, you know? I'm no, absolutely. I'm going to go and run. Yeah, I'm <laughs> going go go to run. run. I'll just run it off. You know? But people it's like, like to, you know, it's, there's something fundamental about mental stuff, isn't there? I think people like to believe that they're in total OJ. we control. We all kind of know we're not in total control of our bodies, but we like to believe we're in total control of our minds. But I, it's,
1: I think it's almost like thing. I know when I. So when I got physically ill, Mm -hmm. to start with, it was a physical illness. And then as I started to feel kind of captive by the physical illness and that the physical illness wasn't shifting, my mental health got really bad. It had never been brilliant. It's always been something that's kind of been on and off. I know I have to kind of take care of my mind every day. I know I have tendencies to get anxious and overly worried and things, but it got very bad. And I remember my dad said to me, he said, you are depressed. I said, I'm not depressed. I'm absolutely not depressed. And I just wouldn't. I wouldn't reconcile it. It was almost like it was okay to say my physical body was weak, but to say that my mind was weak just... It was like,
0: like a judgment on yourself.
1: Exactly. It was like you're you're not kind of good. And it was only realizing how much my mum was being affected by it that made me care. Kind of during some... There were some meds I took that really affected my mind, which, which didn't help. But there were, you know, there were some moments where I just really remember, like, how much I just really mm. didn't care to... To kind of exist anymore but how much I just fought any help on that side of things how much I wouldn't own the label and it's taken me such a long time yeah. to accept how dark I got but also to accept the fact that I don't have... For whatever reason, however the brain works, I don't have probably the best mental health disposition. I don't feel as balanced as as you do every day, and therefore I've got to work on it. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. There's
0: nothing wrong with that. And also, it's like um, all illnesses or conditions or any health thing, um, it's something we experience. It's not something we are. And exactly. that was the key thing for me to get because I when I used to be called, you know, given labels like panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, depression. I, I took them as insults.
1: Yeah,
0: I thought I'm and let not. Them I'm define not. You. Don't yeah,
2: say yeah. that about me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I yeah. Dare you? Yeah.
0: No, but um, yeah, and it was it was to- it was totally accurate um, labels and descriptions. But it wasn't. It didn't change me. Yeah, it may have might have dominated my life during those things. Uh, you know, as a asthma attack would dominate you if you've got asthma. But it, you, you're not asthma. You're not arthritis. Exactly. Um, and you're not depression um, but it, it, it's very hard in the that initial
1: not to be defined not by it. to
0: be defined by it and to, to have that life perspective and the biggest cliche in the world about time healing there's some truth in it when it comes to anxiety and depression and things like that because anxiety and depression gives you so much stuff in your mind that isn't true I mm. was convinced I'd be dead at the age of 25 at my own hand I was convinced my relationships would end that everything bad would happen and obviously in life Bad things happen, we lose people we love, this you know, this, that, and the other. But not the pessimistic, intense bleakness that depression gives you. That's not an accurate worldview. And that can only be disproved by time. So it's very hard when someone's in a very dark or suicidal place to get that message into their head and with reasons to stay alive, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to send them message in a bottle back yeah. through time.
1: And so do you think kind of um conversation and openness around this is the way forward. Because it seems in taking your own, you know, very challenging and personal experiences and opening them up to the world that, you know, which is in a way a little bit what we've done with Delicious Yella. And to me, I never realized the power of that. It was an accidental understanding. When I I was so embarrassed of my physical illness that I didn't talk to anyone and that had such a negative impact on my mental health because I didn't want to, I was so, I defined myself by it and therefore defined myself as weird, as different, as alien, as not interesting, as a freak, as all the rest of it. And therefore thought no one would like me. And then when I started talking about it and other people said, well, do you know what? I've been through this or I've been through that. And you realize you are not, the only person dealing with this actually it's quite normal and for me it was the most reassuring thing I'd ever done and I think had a huge and profound impact is on opening up to other people
0: yeah, I mean, I was so scared about opening up. And um, I, I, I think I wrote 10 books before that, because I was sort of like building up to doing it. And it, Reason Stay Alive* was the first book I was asked by a friend to write. And I don't know if I would have dared do it without that prompt. Um, but once you do it, once you cross the threshold, you think, what was I worried about? Yeah. You know, the reaction is so generally supportive. Yes, there's a bit of ignorance here or there but generally it's warm and supportive and also it has that contagious effect where you suddenly feel less alone because other people are telling you their yeah. sort of survival stories and things that they've totally. overcome and that that's very sort of nourishing and it's very good because when I first became ill the only person people you ever heard or or I ever heard about with mental health problems were people who ended their life because of them. And actually having the conversation makes you realise that that's the abnormal end point. Most people have some kind of mental struggle at some point in their life. They survive they with it. Right. And they, you know, sometimes even, you know, the cloud has that silver lining and there is light at the end of the tunnel and people actually um, have better things Because of it, you know, so much good has, I don't mean career stuff, I mean life stuff, so much good has come out of my experience of mental illness, which doesn't take away from the absolute life-threatening pain of that mental illness, but I I kind of wouldn't change it, even though I know I will have depression and anxiety again.
2: So... Matt, thank you so, so much. This has honestly been incredibly inspiring and eye-opening. And I hope it's been really useful for for everyone listening to. And so something we do with all of our guests is we finish off the episode by asking them a mantra, a practice, a routine that they do every day that that really helps them. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my
0: dad's a runner and the first sort of thing i did that i actively did was get outside and go running it didn't work at first it took a while but i think one of the things that helped me about that was um in panic disorder um a lot of the symptoms of panic disorder are also symptoms of running but you know why you're breathless with running you know why your heart's yeah. racing so it, it was a way of sort of having a safe space and i sort of balance it now with yoga but um i still like getting outside running because you're not checking your phone while you're running Mm -hmm. and you're outside and um yeah
1: it's really not realistic to think we can disconnect for an entire day as you say like we live with this technology and there are brilliant things about it but can you find just a minute every day to quieten your mind and disconnect
0: yeah and one one tiny virtuous thing i've done um which helps with my sort of relationship with social media is I don't charge my phone by my bed anymore. So I have to charge it in the kitchen. I like and, that. And just having that sort of like having to get out of bed, having breakfast before I'm scrolling through Instagram or whatever um, helps a little bit and also helps my sleep. Yes. Um, you know, because I think it's like ice cream. You wouldn't want to tell someone that they could never eat ice cream again, but we'd all know that if we we're eating ice cream for six hours a day in bed on a Saturday nonstop, that would have health consequences.
1: But if we're, if our kind of take home of today is that trying to find a way to be present and trying to find a way to accept where you are today and be very, very grateful for that, then that taps into it, doesn't it? Because it would mean every day that you start the day, you can take a minute to be present. This is where I am. I'm very happy and lucky to be where I am today. This is what I'm excited about today. And then you can o- open yourself up to the rest of the world, what's happening elsewhere in yeah. other people's lives, yeah. then, having already taken stock at the of sky. your
0: own. I, I know this sounds so cheesy, but I'm a great believer. When I had uh, my second most serious bout of depression in my life a few years after my breakdown, um, one, and I was living in New Yorkshire, where there wasn't much light pollution, and I used to sort of go out, at night, taking the bins out or whatever I was doing, and just sort of looking up and looking at stars, just made you feel so happily small yeah. mm. in time and space. And you know, to remind remark- you know, because we get so wrapped up in ourselves, and not not that's not a, a judgment we all do, and that's what mental illness is—you literally wrapped up in yourself—and to sort of look at the sky and to sort of contemplate. The cosmos and the universe and all of that is quite calming
1: Wow, it feels like a pretty perfect closing note um so matt thank you for coming thanks, today honestly guys. that was amazing thank you thank you and if you have any feedback on this episode we would love to hear it so please do review it please do rate it and share any of that feedback with us and otherwise i hope you can tune in for our next episode and definitely subscribe um there'll be a new episode coming out for you every tuesday
2: thanks so much everyone